We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Live from San Diego and Brooklyn, New York, you're listening to the Solis Report. Tonight's guest is from Ship Chasing and Establish the Run, Mr. Pat Crane. Later, the boys answer the phone and learn about blockchain with Davis Maddock. Featuring Devin McIntyre and the Solis Report Band. And your host, John Solis! Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's get to the news. Uh, folks, uh, another great game for Saints quarterback Taysom Hill. Uh, another game, two more touchdowns. One to Jared Cook, one to Manny Sanders. And with those two scores, he now has a total of four, count them, four career touchdowns, which ties him with wide receiver Mohamed Sanu. Fine company indeed. He'll certainly be looking to move up that career list. He now has his sights set on Ladanian Tomlinson. <laughs> He's got six or seven, right? Yeah. Hey, you know, uh, speaking of the Saints, uh, did you hear this, Steph? Uh, Sean Payton, he recently announced that once Drew Brees retires, he's going to give Jameis Winston, uh, last year's interception leader, he's going to give him a second chance to be the starter. Oh, that's a little bit surprising after he was passed over, right, this year? Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
At long last, a well-deserved second chance for Jameis Winston. Uh, folks, you know, uh, uh, Le'Veon Bell back in the news, uh, apparently he's been telling everyone how great things are in Kansas City. Wait, is that, are you sure you're right about that? I heard he was uh, getting a little vocal about how unhappy he was with his playing time. He's he's telling people the opposite? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As it turns out, uh, when he negotiated his contract a few months ago, he was paid entirely in Bitcoin. <laughs> Oh my god, Dev, how did we make it this far into the monologue without talking about a certain pooping quarterback from last week? You know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, that is, everyone's talking about this. It's the talk of NFL locker rooms. Uh, Mason Rudolph shit his pants again for no, <laughs> no reason. Unexplicable. Wow, you know, a, a bit of a surprise. Uh, fresh off of that game-winning long score, uh, Henry Ruggs was mostly neglected by the Raiders last week. Just not a lot of looks going his way. Uh, the last time I've seen Ruggs treated so negligently, it was in my college dorm. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. If you didn't like to vacuum, then how come all your college buddies call you the Hoover? Hey, who told you that? <laughs> Uh, you know, the Lions seem to be doing better with Matt Patricia out the door. I mean, they're not quite thriving, but they're managing under interim coach Daryl Bevel. You know, they asked Stafford how he likes playing for his new coach. And Stafford said, well, Patricia was really edgy, maybe too edgy. Bevel really smoothed those edges out. Absolutely beveled them. Great woodworking joke. Just what the listeners have been demanding. Uh, speaking of Wood, though, Robert Wood seems to be fully recovered from the groin pull he suffered earlier this season. That's right. He's been doing pretty well. Yeah, although Woods maintains that he never, in fact, pulled his groin. Uh, he was just leaning back to tuck his shirt in. <laughs> the old Rudy Giuliani defense. Uh, you know, we joke, but in, in serious news, it has been reported that Giuliani... Uh, was hospitalized with COVID. I'm not sure his current status, but uh, just putting any partisan feelings aside, I think Americans across the political spectrum are wishing him a swift, speedy, and painless journey to the afterlife. <laughs> Devin, that, um, that is dark, but I liked it. More bad news for Steelers fans. Deontay Johnson's close contacts are now being monitored. Oh, that is bad news. He has he has COVID. Oh no no, it's not COVID. Uh, he's got a case of the drops. No, oh, that's uh, I did not know that was contagious. No one did. Uh, really, they think he got it from Eric Ebron. All right, folks. Thanks for coming back with us. Uh, we've got a great show for you this evening. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit about the blockchain with Davis Maddock. Uh, we might take a call or two. And then finally, we've got a close friend of the show. You know him from Establish the Run. You know him from Chip Chasing. None other than Pat Perrin. So stick around. Uh, 
2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria, and you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer available through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. You know, folks, we alluded to this in the monologue, but Bitcoin is out of control right now. It's actually over $20,000 per coin for the first time in its history. Did you hear that, Dev? Yeah, all-time high. All-time high. And the, the, the bad part is, not only do I not have any Bitcoin, I don't even know what it is. And I don't even know what uh, uh, the blockchain, which is, I guess, what makes it even possible. I don't know anything about that. Do you? Yeah, no, I don't. I'm finding out that I am financially illiterate in ways that I didn't even know existed before. <laughs> it's magnified in this whole new era, but we are in luck because we have from uh, Sports Grid, uh, not only is he a DFS guru, he's also a Bitcoin and blockchain guru. Uh, folks, uh, please give a warm welcome to Mr. Davis Maddock. Davis, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, as you know, nobody knows less about blockchain than I do. And then uh, second lowest on the totem pole is Devin. So uh, you've got your hands full today, but I'm hoping you can explain to us and to our audience at home and here in the audience, uh, what is blockchain? The easiest way to say it is it's a distributed ledger that records all transactions every transaction takes place on the blockchain and therefore gets independently verified by other members of the blockchain. And, and that is very basic, right? There's all these other things of like, oh, some people run nodes. What's a node? I mean, and it's just, it goes, it goes on and on and there's development. And I, I won't lie, it does get a little convoluted, but the easiest way to say it is the blockchain exists to have independently verified transactions so that you don't need a third party when you are doing a financial transaction. Okay, so it, it's kind of addressing a problem that uh, most lay people like me probably aren't even considering. Like I, I swipe my credit card or I tap my credit card and I just assume it's automatic, but you're telling me there's an issue of trust in a transaction like that. Well, I'm telling you that for your, when you, when you do that, right, you swipe your credit card, I'm gonna go buy a cup of coffee. Um, your coffee shop pays a payment processor that charges them a percentage of that transaction, and they also charge Visa Chase charges them a chunk of that transaction too. So there's this whole racket of like literally your your only job is um 
like the, the only existence of these companies is charging other people to verify <laughs> transactions. And that is a problem, but I wouldn't say that's one of the most, you know, 100 pressing problems as it pertains to money. I, I, have you ever tried to do an international transaction? Have you ever tried to get money from, like, I used to do contracting work for a company in Canada, and it would take a week for me to get paid, right? Because I would, I would send the invoice, and then they would submit it to their people and go through their banks, and then it goes through and it comes into my bank account, you know, a week later. It's, it's a total hassle to get money across international borders. If you wanted to send it on the blockchain, depending on if you did it in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dash, whatever, whatever, I mean, it takes 60 minutes tops, but it could be as fast as, as one second. Okay, wow. Um, if I'm just regular Joe with money in the bank, just, you know, American dollars currency, can I take advantage of a blockchain to exchange money in that way? Yeah, I mean, so let's say I had a family member living in Greece. And I wanted to send them some money, but I didn't want to pay the United States federal government and I didn't want to pay the Greek federal government, right? I, a very easy thing I could do is I could, you know, get on my, my cell phone. I could create an account on Coinbase, which is, that's sort of like the, the Walmart or, you know, the, the Starbucks of um, internet money transactions, right? It's FBI insured. They report all of their transactions to the federal government. You have to pay taxes on gains or you can write off losses on Coinbase. It's it's about as it's about as milk toast, about as vanilla as um like a lot of people in cryptocurrency actually don't like Coinbase. They think it's too corporate, oh. basically. But I could log on to Coinbase, I could put in my bank information, my credit card information. I could purchase, you know, a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin. I could do it on the on the blockchain and I could send a thousand dollars of Bitcoin to my relative in Greece, you know, whatever, you know, you're, you're on hard times, you need $1,000, gets there within an hour, they cash it out, they sell it for, I don't even know what, what, what is the Greek currency? I, I, I couldn't even, they could sell it for is, euros. Is it the dinar? Right? Dev, is it the dinar? Is it the drachma? Or what are, what are those? I, it, so, um, okay, the speed is, is a clear advantage here, I guess, um, and apologies if this is a remedial question, but, um, why can't it move so much faster on the blockchain? You mentioned a shared ledger earlier. I'm assuming that's cutting out a lot of middlemen, but it's not quite clear to me how. So it cuts out the middlemen of, of bank wiring, right? Banks as they exist now have existed really unchanged for hundreds of years, right? The way that transactions occur via you know international banks, even being even if you wanted to send someone a bank wire, in the states it costs you extra money mm -hmm. it's not it certainly is not immediate right it, it takes a little while and a lot of us are spoiled by paypal where those transactions happen a lot faster and really paypal is sort of like the non-blockchain solution to to this problem uh, which is why a lot of people by the way a lot of critics of, of bitcoin and of the blockchain in general would be like well you know there are centralized ways to do this and that word that word centralized is actually really at the at the heart of cryptocurrency kind of in general, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all of these things is that a big idea is to take money away from governments and to put it in the hands of the people, right? Because no no government says Bitcoin is worth this. No government produces it, right? It is right. it is and the same is true with all these other coins, right? They are they are privately created and the value is bestowed upon them, you know 
based on what people value it at. Um, so I don't know if I answered that question. I might have just went off on it. No, 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 no. I, I, I would say you definitely did. Um, you know, I think, again, as a lay person here, one of my reservations about uh, blockchain or, or, or Bitcoin is, um, you know, I just, I don't really understand it. But if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, it seems like a lot of different industries could use blockchain now. And my experience as the end user is not really all that different. It's just much more efficient. Like I can keep going about my my way, sending money to Greece, for example, and and it's it's sure. I'm not even aware of the change. It's just a net positive. Yeah. I mean so so that is that is a key point, right? Is that a lot of what Bitcoin and these other cryptocurrencies aims to do really just aims to make a lot of the things we do already frictionless, right? Because there is so much friction in um, you know, sending a lot of these transactions, and really the, but the 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 TLDR, the too long didn't read is there will only ever be 21 million bitcoins that exist. Bitcoins are mined by very advanced computers that basically trade electricity, the power that runs through them, to solve very complex mathematical equations. It's called a hash rate, and every. Um, Oh wow, I don't even know this. It's it's based on how many bitcoins get mined, but it it becomes more difficult like about every 18 months. It it requires more power and fewer bitcoins are able to be mined, which creates scarcity mm-hmm. and the whole so the whole idea is 21 million bitcoins exist, it becomes harder and harder to mine them, they become scarcer and scarcer as more people buy them, more people hold them, less people are selling them. And that is why you are seeing Bitcoin spike right now. That's why you're seeing everyone tweet about it because no one's selling. I, I don't know. I don't know one person right now who is selling their Bitcoin. It's it's hard for me to imagine wanting to sell something that is so scarce. And and so the 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 whole idea is it's a store of value. It's a way to because all money is right is a, a translation of the way we spend our time. We spend uh, we turn our time into dollars mm-hmm. and that that's just kind of the representation of what money is and bitcoin is a way to make that time worth even more money that's a really excellent way of of putting something i've had a ton of difficulty understanding uh one thing i understand is uh, uh scarcity uh especially intentional scarcity um uh you know i i'm a recovering supreme guy i get it i know what it's like hey. when you want something everyone else has and you can't get it um so when you, Dude, I mean that that Bitcoin, Bitcoin is the the 2011 era uh, five panel hats that Tyler Creator <laughs> was was sending out. Right, there was only they only made five thousand of them, but right. way more than five thousand kids got on hype beast and wanted them. And so, but but if you had them, it was worth whatever you wanted to be because someone would buy it from you for that price. Absolutely. Okay. So so when I'm when I'm investing in Bitcoin. Um, you know, what am I really investing in? Like what, what, you know, when I invest in Apple, I'm making a bet that Apple's going to continue to increase in value. I'm making a bet that they're going to continue making good products, hopefully, and the market will appreciate that and my investment will go up. Um, am I investing in scarcity when I put money in Bitcoin or am I investing also in, in blockchain and my belief in the blockchain and the way it replaces middlemen? So specifically with Bitcoin, you are investing in the idea that you are investing in scarcity when you're investing in Bitcoin, right? You are buying, I'm buying 0.5 Bitcoins, I'm buying 0.1 Bitcoins, I'm buying 
0.005 bitcoins, right? Um, whatever, you know, my, I think the first time I bought Bitcoin, I mean, it was a very long time ago, but I, I think it was literally like 0.012 or something. Like it was like $100 worth back when Bitcoins were worth, you know, only like 800 bucks or whatever. Right. Um, but then if you were, if, if you were to invest in say, uh, Ethereum, which is another cryptocurrency, it would be more in the idea of the blockchain because Ethereum is centralized, right? So it's, it's like a business. There are people making decisions. They're actually, um, this was a very long time ago, but like in 2016, there was actually a crime that happened on the Ethereum blockchain where coins got stolen, right? So like, you know, $3.8 million or whatever of coins got stolen. And the people at Ethereum made the executive decision, we're going to roll back the blockchain. We're going to unverify all those transactions. So all those people got refunded and they got their money back and didn't get stolen, which sounds great, right? You're right. like, oh, wow. I mean, that's like, that's like a bank. That's what I want to do. I want my money to be protected. But then on the other hand, you say, well, my investment in this is still giving these people power who may or may not have my best interests at heart. Mm. And that would be the argument of someone who kind of like myself is more of a, a Bitcoin or, or bust first, right? Like sort of my, I, I see a lot of value in the whole idea of the blockchain, right? This is something that IBM uses, you know, one of the biggest uh, tech companies in the world. They're, they're using the blockchain to, uh, well, they're selling it, right? They're selling blockchain technology to help verify the creation of products. The, the um, there's, there's a very good word for me to use here, like the, the, the austerity, that's not quite, but uh, like the validity, right? That, um, that products are being shipped correctly, that they are what they say they are, right? That they have the value that they say they are. Um, so I, I guess I would say, if you want to invest in scarcity, if you are a believer in the idea of scarcity, that scarcity in and of itself creates value, mm -hmm. you, you'd be more of a Bitcoin guy. If you're more of like, wow, the idea of independently verified transactions sounds amazing to me. Maybe you'd be more of, I mean, there are, are thousands of cryptocurrencies that purport to do all sorts of different things. And it's a big wormhole to go down if you ever really get interested in it. I, I when I first got into this stuff, you know, way back when I was actually more of a, well, the blockchain can change the world type person. And I don't really know if I believe that as much these days. Interesting. Where does that cynicism come from? Well, it come. I don't know if it's cynicism, but I think it's like, so I have money to invest that I use in fantasy football, right? And I have money to invest that I use in the stock market and mutual funds and things like that. But what I really want is I want something that no one could take away from me. Mm. And that's, that's what Bitcoin is to me. I mean, my, <laughs> I my Bitcoin and Ethereum is all stashed on this little, look, this looks like a jump drive. Right? Yeah, right? yeah, it is as far as I and can tell. I'm the only one in the world. Yeah, so so I'm the only one in the world that has the passcode to this. And um, the, the passcode is written on a piece of paper that's in a safety deposit box. And so I could get into it. And I guess, you know, whoever else could get into my safety deposit box could theoretically get into it as well. But outside of that, the federal government couldn't take it from me. You know, someone couldn't rob me of this money. And it is, um, you, you hear this word immutable a lot yeah. when you hear about uh, the blockchain because no one can change it. No one, no one can go in and say, you did this transaction or you didn't do this transaction. And 
that that idea of unchangeable and and um un like you can't meddle with it no one could meddle with it bill gates bill gates couldn't meddle with it and be like i want all of it right because because he couldn't get it right it's like when you go you buy some concert tickets and then you go to the concert and you show up there and they're like oh somebody already somebody literally literally um their uh former former grantland writer jay cassian kang and aaron lammer used to do this podcast called the coin talk show and their theory is that satoshi nakamoto who is the author of the bitcoin white paper and who basically is, is the father and creator of bitcoin their theory is that bitcoin arose out of a failed paypal transaction or ebay transaction where this guy had an e had an ebay transaction go poor where he paid you know x amount of dollars for a collectible or something he liked and paypal wouldn't mediate the transaction and he ended up having to pay for something that wasn't what he wanted now i mean this is like fan fiction right but this is literally the stuff that bitcoin was uh sort of the that general realm is sort of the the idea that that's the problem it's there to solve can you talk a little bit about the sort of fundamental irony that what makes the blockchain so uh appealing is the fact that 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 level of security is essentially like intrinsic to the transactions like the 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 safety net there is that it's like part the structure of the blockchain itself like is the verification not the a third party or whatever it is but then on the other hand it's like you have to have your like usb safe and like you're constantly everyone's terrified of being hacked oh, and people's phones I mean... are being cloned and like <laughs> instant it's like five seconds and like your life savings is being like downloaded onto some like hackers laptop like it's almost like the wild west of it is almost like terrifyingly insecure right well the the part that is not secure i mean you know i'm not worried about uh, about a hacker stealing my bitcoin or anything but the part that you do worry about is everyone who has ever sent a meaningful amount of money on the blockchain right anyone who's at like you get on and you're like okay i'm gonna send it to my wallet or you know i'm gonna send someone money it is because you're not rolling it back if you if you type in a z and you're we're supposed to type a two mm-hmm. or you you type a j because it's it's done via like qr code um through like bitcoin addresses and they're just long strings of you know alphanumeric numbers and symbols and everything i mean everyone who's ever done it has been sweating bullets the whole time <laughs> and you you pull it up literally on blockchain.com you can watch your transaction be confirmed by all the different, you know, on the blockchain, right? Because it's it's all about verifying the transaction. They verify where you're sending it to. They verify you have the the, the Bitcoin that you're sending. And yeah, I mean, you're you're sweating bullets the whole time. So like the the only part that I feel insecure about is when like, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna I'm gonna send five thousand dollars from Coinbase to my wallet. And uh, if you know if I if I mess up the address of my wallet. I just vaporize, uh, you know, all that money, and there's there's not a customer service line I can call to get it back. That that's that's on me. Wow, that's interesting. I remember reading the first time I ever heard about Bitcoin. I think I read about it in like a Vice article or something, and this was like way back, like way before it was worth eight hundred dollars, and it was like you had to go and like fax your social security number somewhere, and then you had to basically like 
I don't know. I feel like the guy was like FedExing like cash to some like location <laughs> where and then you would they would basically somehow do the transaction for you. So it was in a weird way, almost like the opposite. Like you just had to have total faith that the process you were getting into was going to work and that whoever was like getting your cash was like actually going to like send you like the Bitcoin and stuff. I remember thinking it was pretty interesting, but like the number of steps, it was like, I mean, it made like depositing on like an offshore, you know, like sports betting sports book, book, like it made that look like child's play. Like, yeah, the the early years of Bitcoin were the, I mean, it's very corporate now. Like I'm sitting here talking to you guys and I'm like, I could, like, if I got on the cell, like the phone with my grandma, I could instruct her and in 15 minutes, I could have her do a Bitcoin transaction, like we could figure it out. And my grandma's not even super tech savvy. I mean, tech savvy enough to like, you know, get on the internet on her phone or whatever, but it's it's not hard, right? It's it's very, like, who do you know who doesn't at least have a passing familiarity with Bitcoin? But like, it really did used to be like straight up the wild, wild west. No, you don't want nada. None of this. It's gunning this. Brother running this. Buffalo soldier. Look, it's like I told you. So uh, to, to take it back to the blockchain and this idea of the, the shared ledger, like I've never been to, uh, what did you say? It was blockchain.com. So uh, let's say I'm an artist and I, I, I make a comic online and I want to do a limited edition comic. Uh, it's digital, you know, anyone who wanted to cheat it yeah. could, could print it or take a picture of it. But I want to say there's 500 uh, original copies of the Solis Report comic. Could I somehow utilize blockchain to limit the number of people who received it? And if that person wanted to exchange it with someone else, they could, but I would still limit the amount of people who had it? Yeah, this, so the the concept of digital art and verifying, like, because you know art fraud art theft it's this is a huge thing in the world right um that is one of the first applications that people started applying to the blockchain i'm not super well versed in it like i'm not a big art guy but i know that that specific example of the comic books thing is already an application um that has been used for it right that that people because um the the core theory of or, or the core principle behind ethereum is something called the smart contract which is exactly what it sounds like, which is contracts that execute based on both parties fulfilling what they said on the contract. Mm. Um, and again, this is this is even above my head of like, I sort of loosely understand this, but I don't consider myself like an expert or a scholar on these things anyways. But yeah, I mean, digital art, uh, there was something called uh, Crypto Kitties that was uh, a huge thing back in 2017 during the first like crypto explosion where... Um, people were buying, breeding, and uh, you know, auctioning off these literally millions of dollars worth of these crypto kitties. And uh, yeah, I mean, I never, I never, I never owned a crypto <laughs> kitty. They were, uh, they were. It was very real out there. You might have talked about this before, but did, did were you ever a Bitcoin miner? Did you ever get into? Did you have your like little setup venting out? So your apartment wasn't like no, 5, because I never even I never even from the from the the time that like Bitcoin existed, I never even had like a, a desktop laptop to do it. Now I did I did set up my college laptop to mine Zcash and Monero, which is they were um 
they were like privacy coins and and actually oh, okay. one of those two monero i i don't i'm like not even that much in the the altcoin game these days but those are those were worth a lot of money at one point but even my even my crappy college laptop was able to make you know a couple hundred bucks every every month or so mining wow. mining uh, these altcoins i uh i invested in a man's coin for the original release and i understand they've appreciated significantly uh, among degenerate uh, man's coin collectors so <laughs> i'm waiting to see how high that one goes um did you grab one yourself i imagine you could get one even if you don't have one yet Oh, I do. It's it was right on my desk. I wish I had it here to show it off. I think it's probably it's probably sitting somewhere in my drawer. But Pete Pete did send me one um, after uh, after the last run. I I didn't get one of the OG ones so. though. <laughs> um, well, uh, Dave's. I think you've done a really good job of uh, demystifying um, something that was kind of daunting, at least for me. Um, I don't know that I could explain it to someone the way you did, but. I would at least be able to know what someone was talking about now. Um, uh, before uh, we wrap it up, I actually have a reader question for you, a fan of the show. Uh, we announced you were coming on and we got a, a question here. It's from um, Peter O. Uh, would you rather sell all of your Bitcoin today or become a Tennessee Titans fan for life? I would rather show up whatever the Tennessee Titans stadium is called in full body paint with like with a Derrick Henry like Derrick Henry's name and number tattooed on my sell my Bitcoin at this point son. Like I, I truly I truly could never I like I, I don't know how people do it. I've never I John I've never sold a dime. Not not one. I can't I can't do it. I can't because it's hard enough to get it in the first place. Like I'm not, I'm not made of money, you know. Like it's hard enough to acquire it in the first place. I can never imagine saying goodbye to it. Davis, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, man. Um, I'd love to have you on uh, for the comedy portion of the show if you ever have the time, man. I think it'd be a blast. Yeah, I will. Uh, we'll, we'll have to line it up sometime. I will. Uh, I'll come in and. Uh, I'm not very funny though. Everyone knows I steal all my jokes from people. <laughs> Us too. Us that's too. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's our shit too. <laughs> Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment, or overbearing sports parents, fewer than one percent of one percent of even 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi. Made for football watching. Wow, that was so nice of him to come on and to be so patient and explain it to us. Like, I really appreciate that. Did you learn something, Dev? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, everyone loves Davis and we have wanted to have him on the show for a while. So it's cool that he was able to bring his expertise. Absolutely. You know, I really am going to make um, a small investment on oh, John, base, we, uh, later today. Are we expecting a phone call? I think uh, this is a Philly number. Should, all right. Should we just take this?
second time caller, all right? Really glad you guys are back. I'm calling in with some big news. Oh, I, I recognize this voice. Uh, how are you, sir? How are you coping? Not too well. You see, I've been in a medically-induced COVID coma since October. Feels like crap, Devin. Not great. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Wait, October? Uh, you have missed a lot. You, you have missed, missed a lot. You bet your goddamn ass I have, Dev. I woke up and come to find out I've been the victim of voter fraud right here in Philly. Recount the votes in Pennsylvania. Wait, somebody, somebody voted for you while you were in your medically induced coma. This is uh this is this is some fairly important breaking news here. There's actually a, a lot of people who might want to talk to you. You bet your ass they want to talk to me. I'm letting everybody know that my brother used my vote on Pats when everybody knows I'm a Tony Luke's man. <laughs> wait, so oh wait, you're you're talking about some kind of Philadelphia cheesesteak election here? Yeah, man, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, all right, that's that's big news too. That's uh Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? We're trying to you. I have an interview with Geraldo Riviera lined up in five minutes. The big time, baby. See ya nerds. Wow. Can you believe that, Devin? A repeat caller. That is so cool. It's nice of Frank to 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 call in two times, don't you think? Yeah, I'm glad that he's out of that coma. Uh, I hope that he gets. I hope that he he gets his due process uh, and his day in court for you know, Tony Luke's. <laughs> it's like they say, you've got to stop this steal. There was voter fraud there. I I get it. I completely get it. But uh, I don't know about you. I could use a palate cleanser after all that cheesesteak talk. And who better than establish the runs and ships chasing the. And stat chasing's very own Pat Corain. I think establish the runs is Mason Rudolph's podcast. <laughs> All right, folks, know what you've all been waiting for. Put your hands together for Mr. Pat Corain. Wow, Pat, thank you so much for taking the time to join us live in studio. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. Thanks for having me, guys. I've never done a podcast with a live audience before. This is pretty cool. Uh, John spent some time saying this audience wasn't good looking for some reason pre-show. Whoa, but whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, whoa. Don't, I don't know what he's talking about. You guys look great. We are, we are known for having one of the most attractive audiences in all of fantasy football uh, talk show comedy. Okay, so, um, Pat... When people think Pat Corain, immediately they think ship chasing. At least uh, I do. Uh, but how did how did you get your start with uh, podcasting, with Rotoviz Radio, and and with your longtime podcast partner Pete? Yeah, so I, I've been uh, I was writing for Rotoviz for a little while and um, started to get more interested in doing some of the podcasts. Um, Matt Friedman was bringing some people on to do editing, so. Got involved with that, and then started doing Road of His Radio, uh, originally with Ben Gretsch, 
And so that was that was pretty cool. Kind of took that show over from Matt and John Moore um, as they moved on. So that's kind of the road of this radio part of it. And then I was doing all this editing, and Fantasyland came out with their first episode, and I had commented on how awesome I thought it was. And it turned out they were looking for someone to help edit the show. So Matt and Pete reached out to me, and I just talked about like what I thought I could do and. I kind of got too into editing, you know, I got like deep in the the rabbit hole of trying to make all the the audio sound as good as I possibly could and yeah. that really helped for that show cuz it's a very highly produced show where you're taking a bunch of different interviews and editing it down to, you know, maybe you take an hour interview and only use like 3 minutes of the whole thing highly edited. So that's how me and Pete started working together and we did an episode on high stakes where the whole point of the episode was like we will kind of like be your view into this world. And we went out to Vegas, drafted our first high stakes team and chronicled it the whole time and made this whole tight episode about it. And then we kind of off of that experience, it ultimately ended up leading to ship chasing, which is just me and Pete kind of week by week chronicling uh, our foray into all of these high stakes leagues. And it's gotten to the point now where we have a whole, a whole portfolio of teams and, um, you know, we're kind of we've been doing it for a number of years now, but that's that's how it got to here. That's awesome. So initially, it was just like a single episode. No, it, it was. We took one episode, and that kind of that episode built and built. Um, and even at the time, we did we had so much audio from the high stakes episode that we ended up doing another show using a lot of that audio about co-managing. And then we talked to a bunch of people who co-managed teams. It wasn't necessarily kind of just high stakes specific but there were there are you know many other people who who co-manage high stakes teams so we had a lot of good stories from that um and you know we had a ton of audio of me and pete arguing about taking you know various dusty players um there's a famous buck allen argument that we that we recorded (laughs) so lots of good co-managing stuff that uh you know so i think immediately we knew we had we had something that was going to drive a lot of content for us. I definitely, I mean, because when you think of like interesting podcast content, I immediately think, what about co-managing? John and I co-managed the team this offseason. One of the worst experiences of both of our lives. I think we would agree. Yeah, uh, Nightmarish. Night- you have to, look, if you're going to co-manage a team, there has to be like some overlap in philosophy and with Devin and I in terms of fantasy football there just there just isn't any uh, uh where do you think what do you, you mean you, it, you guys are both of his guys there's no there's no overlap here that's why we thought it would work well what? we thought how hard could this be first of all I've listened to podcasts I know other people do this successfully this is a thing co-managing thing. and I was like John why wouldn't we have a team and we got through like 10, 10 rounds. We both wanted to kill ourselves. John was like, "You take the wheel from here. I'm, I'm done." I, I, I had. I, I listen. We both like Raheem Mostert. We both like <laughs> Raheem Mostert. I think we were feeling really good about Matt Breida. It's Breida, right? I, I've heard Breida. I think it's Breida. I think it's Breida. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they call him the Cheetah. He's fast. I think it's Breida. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, we just, we just, no, we don't, we don't get along. But that, that's. That's another story altogether. Uh, uh, how would you describe uh, your drafting style in contrast to Pete's? And how do you make that work, Pat? Well, yeah, I mean, I think our drafting style overall is 
pretty similar. Um, there's not a ton of discussion really about like the overall drafting strategy. We both really like zero running back. We're both very happy to take like an elite running back you know, if we get a top five pick and then move away from running back, you know, kind of do the modified zero running back thing. We both really like that. There's really, there's, I guess, one draft this year where we had taken CMC 101 and Aaron Jones fell to us at the 212 and we took a second running back. That's about as running back heavy as we get. And then we, I don't think we took another running back till round 10. So that philosophy is, is already kind of in place. But there's, of course, lots and lots of little things of like, where do you take quarterback this year? And, and that, that type of stuff is usually pretty easy to hash out. It does, then when you get to like, player specific things that's where we'll tend to like go back and forth a lot where it's like i really like targeting this player in this range and pete has a guy that he likes better and we tend to it that'll take the most time but like he'll talk me off some guys i'll talk him into some guys or whatever so (laughs) and if you can't talk him into it you just accidentally disconnect and draft him anyway that's right. So what I recommend is always use Bluetooth headphones for your draft because Bluetooth headphones are unreliable and may cut out while you're on the clock. And you may already have two of your favorite players in the queue when that happens. And then you'll just get them. So, you know, that's just a little a little pro tip. In those in those drafts where you're drafting from the turn, you get a huge amount of Bluetooth uh, tech, technological Bluetooth equity. error equity. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, you talk about specific players, and um, obviously, Ronald Jones, com- Jones, excuse me, Ronald Jones. <laughs> Ronald Jones comes to mind. Do you get tired? Do you get, I mean, are, are you happy to be associated with Ronald Jones at this point to the level that you are? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of so the way the Ronald Jones thing has gone down is, has been fun. Because, like, so, for example, last year, even more than this year, I think I think Pete's spirit was broken a little bit this year on Ronald Jones. So he didn't really push back as much as last year, <laughs> where last year we actually he had created for us Rojo cards where it's like we got to that was kind of like the card we played to be like, this is my player. You know, oh. I was going to use mine on Rojo. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of like the give and take of co-managing. This year, uh, I, I ended up talking him into a few, a few many, too many Ronald Jones shares uh, where I think he basically, he kind of got me back for talking him into one time. We took Ronald Jones by bringing Ben Gretsch and Sean Siegel on the show, who then, when Ronald Jones was right there for us to select him, we ended up taking, I think, Will Fuller instead. So it ended up being the right move. But I thought they would be on my side. They ended up being on Pete's side. So, but I think... Overall, the, the Ronald Jones thing, it ends up being kind of fun because, like, I'm trying to talk Pete into drafting Ronald Jones on our on our high-stakes team. So I'm not, like, touting Ronald Jones to the people, like, you guys all need to draft. I'm The, the content is me being like, dude, come on, let's do it. And Pete being like, God, no, I don't want to. And so there's, like, I don't get, like, vitriol back for that. It ends up being kind of fun, like, kind of win or lose – you know, and hey, we got the three 100-yard games. So, you know, for as late as you could get Ronald Jones after the Fournette signing, I, I think on some of our teams, we got him in the ninth round. Or one of our teams, I think that's the latest. We got him in the ninth round. We got him in the seventh round to start the season. So, you know, 
I'm feeling pretty good about the whole thing right now, and I don't mind being associated with him. I wish he looked a little bit better catching the ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. So does Tom Brady. I know you're also uh, associated with Establish the Run. Uh, what are you doing over there? What's going on? Yeah, I'm doing Dynasty Rankings for Establish the Run, and I did a bunch of articles uh, preseason doing kind of like uh, – I wrote a lot of stuff about zero running back, wrote about wide receiver targets, um, tight end targets, all that stuff. And uh, during the season, I've been doing a podcast with Mike Leone called Establish the Edge, which has been a lot of fun. Mike's super, super sharp. So we talk kind of like about whatever. It kind of rotates a little bit. Um, last week, we talked about correlation. And and just kind of, I basically just interviewed Mike about all the different ways to think about correlation when you're building GPP lineups. This week we talked about preparing your high stakes teams for the playoffs. We've talked a lot about dynasty. We get pretty deep into dynasty um, on that podcast. So I'd say if anything, it's kind of the primary focus there might be dynasty, but we kind of mix it up and just talk about various interesting topics that kind of make sense at that particular time. Pat, it's a little tacky, but, um, when I won my first GPP, and I think it was like 240 bucks or something funny like that, um, I felt like I was the man and the best gambler in the world. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think you took down a slightly bigger uh, contest recently. Is that true? Yeah, I took down the Engage 8. Um, God, I forget what week actually, but it's the week where Derrick Henry went off against uh, the Texans and I had a... Houston double stack with the big dog. So, were you yeah. sweating the whole time? How? What was the shape of that? Like, did you know you had locked it up uh, by the early afternoon or, or what? Yeah. That, so the weird thing about that was the sweat was like kind of low key. Like I had. So the way the the way that afternoon went is that I was like doing well, but it was like kind of one of those classic things where I'm like in the mix. Everything kind of needs to go right, but it probably won't. And then everything went right, like at the same time. Like Justin Jefferson and Julio Jones, I had Justin Jefferson had a big long touchdown. Then we had the Derrick Henry run, then was followed immediately by Will Fuller long touchdown. So, like, all of a sudden, I was like fifth or sixth or something. And then I had, uh, I had Miles Gaskin and the Dolphins. No, I had Miles Gaskin. I think only left and other people had the dolphins D so I didn't have time really to even think about late swapping or anything because uh, it was like, I didn't, I didn't really have any time. Like the, the dolphins game started only a few minutes after that. And it ended up being that like, I was the only one with Gaskin. Uh, I was the most points with a Gaskin lineup. And I could tell that I knew that by looking at like the four or five teams ahead of me that, they just either had nothing or the Dolphins D. And so I ended up sweating Gaskin against the Dolphins D. But the Dolphins D only, they like almost outscored Gaskin because that, uh, that was the Jets with Flacco. And so I almost lost it on that. But I, it was like one of those things where you kind of knew Gaskin was going to outscore him. And I wasn't, I was kind of pacing around and stuff. But it was like a pretty, it wasn't like my heart was in my throat. And I've, I've since had sweats where like I thought, everything was going to come together and then it doesn't. And that's much more 
heartbreaking. Although I will say, if the Dolphins D had cost me like five thousand dollars, I would have, <laughs> I would have been crying. So. <laughs> I, uh, it, was the first person you told someone in person, or was it Twitter? Who knew first? Well, I, had, I, I know I had messaged with Pete, and I was calling my brother Mike. Like I was telling him, like, dude, I've got a sweat going. So you know, I was going through that, and uh, I told my girlfriend Brittany, I was like, you know, I think I might win a bunch of money here, and she's just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, I really might. <laughs> like, this is so that she uh, she took a, I had to tell her a few times. <laughs> That's fun. That's uh, uh, is Brittany uh, supportive of your fantasy football endeavors. Very. Yeah, very. She has to put up with, uh, you know, we're in a Brooklyn apartment here where it's laid out basically like two big studios. So there's like literally there's an entrance to the room I'm in now and there's an entrance from the hall to the bedroom as well. And then each room is kind of like a big square. So we have TVs and like a couch in both of the rooms. So you and they both are they're joined by the kitchen and, and then the bathroom's off the kitchen. So you can kind of like sequester yourself into just half the apartment and you have everything you need. So that's kind of how, but we don't have like really enough space to support all of the constant <laughs> recording that I'm doing in the NFL season. So she's the same. <laughs> Shout out. It's to like Ray. a little hotel. It's like a hotel suite. Yeah. It's like a hotel suite where you have that like a little adjoining door. Right, yeah. right. Dev, you're famously a, a Brooklynite. Is it Brooklynite or Brooklyner? I don't know. Devin, you've been here longer. What I, is it? I mean, I don't really use... Well, I never say Brooklyner, so I would say it's not that. Okay. I mean, Brooklynite is the more common word. If, But, like, I mean, I don't really... I mean, I don't self-describe that way. I guess it's like one—it's <laughs> so. like one of those things where Angelinos don't really say, "I'm an Angelino." It's just kind of right, a pejorative right. that San Diegans use. Uh, <laughs> is there any? Is that? I don't really know of any cities where people say, "I'm a," you know, Chicagoan or something. A Chicagoan. Right. Um, I'll tell you, I went to school uh, in Indiana, in Bloomington, Whoa. Indiana, and people out there will tell you I'm a Hoosier and they'll mean it. Okay. Um, and uh, same thing with Huskers. My fiance is from Nebraska. And yeah, I'm a Husker. I'm a Husker. And many of them are literally Huskers, of course. That's true. <laughs> so they, they they do mean it as well. So yeah, that makes sense. You have that connection there. You embrace the you embrace the term maybe a little more easily. I think Brooklynite uh is the word. How long have you been in Brooklyn then, Pat? I assumed you'd been there a long time. I assumed wrong. No, I haven't. I, I moved here in September. What? Yeah, well I moved from Manhattan. Okay, I've been okay. in New York for uh, like uh, nine, almost nine years. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you're a local at this point. And Dev, you've been out there for 15, 20 years? Yeah, for, I've been here forever too. But I've been in Brooklyn the whole time. I live in Carroll Gardens. Nice. And I've been here a long time. And I'm, I was, I lived in like South Park Slope. That used to be a thing. Now it's all. Uh-huh. I used to live on 15th Street and like 5th Ave. Oh, uh, like that's like decently close to other half brewery, isn't it? Uh, maybe. Where? Yeah. Wait. Where? Where is that? Yeah, I just assume Pat that marks everything. West. 
do you just yeah i do i do market by the breweries by breweries like, and speakeasies <laughs> yeah and there's that uh, royal palms is over uh that might be more like true park slope you know that that bar royal palms yeah yeah i i played in that league for well i mean it doesn't it's like closed now but right um yeah it's like a, a perfect place to get COVID. there's <laughs> yeah. it's a literally a stand-up shuffleboard place john and it's like it's like decorated uh like a florida like retirement home oh nice <laughs> you know sounds there's pretty like posh of, yeah it's it's pretty great you uh, you were in a league Devin is a champion yeah, actually or uh, well you were competing for the championship as i recall we we always have busted out of the playoffs, but yeah, our 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 team Shufflepuff famously has has been in the league, and now they opened one in Chicago, and there's also a Shufflepuff there, uh, and their te- their that team at like won the whole thing the first year, so we like instantly went to being like the inferior uh, oh, Shufflepuff. No. Team. Yeah, it's sad. It's terrible. But if, if uh, yeah, if it if it ever um. You know, COVID goes away and and it opens back up. Then we'll be back in business. But yeah, no, that place is great. They in fact are broadcasting their uh, recent championships on YouTube, so people can oh, right. people can check it out. Okay. Now I'm doing advertising for the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh no, it's uh, that would, I would say is in I would describe it as in being in Guanas, but it's near okay. Threes. You know, oh yeah, three? I like yeah yeah Threes is solid. Threes is one of the better. Um, it, it's like one of the better places to be. Although I don't think they have all that good of beer. I like every time I'm at Threes, I just get whatever other New York breweries they have visiting. Yeah, that's <laughs> but, fair. I think that's but, fair. You know, it's not bad. It's just you guys asked in the show sheet. You asked me what I'm most hipstery about. That would be it. Yeah, you're the- you're definitely uh, uh uh dropping some hints about that one. Uh, is that is that what prompted you to move to Brooklyn from Manhattan? Better beer? Yeah, better beer. <laughs> no, no, I'm not that much of a beer snob. Who can say? Who can say? What what um what uh prompted your your movement? Part of it was just uh I, the the two main reasons were to get some more outdoor space because we do this has a backyard and we're right south of Fort Greene Park, so you know we've got that really nice park right there. Where we were before was. It was like right on the, the border between the Lower East Side and Chinatown. And there was a ton of things I loved about that area. But almost all of them were indoor things. You know, it's like access to all of these cool little tiny rooms, you know, that either serve food or drinks. And all of that were like, that's all going to suck for the next year. There's Most of it won't just be open or you're going to be outside on the streets. But... These are small streets where the trash is put out on the curb and they're not like the most ideal streets to be hanging out on all the time. Mm-hmm. And the outdoor area that are, that's available in that neighborhood is really kind of like, you know, um, astroturfed areas and stuff. There's really very little true green space. So and also I had been in that area for six years at that point. So uh, just felt like a good time to try out a new neighborhood and uh so far I love Fort Green. It's been a good choice. You're known I mean for 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 people who know their Pat Green facts, you're known as kind of a speakeasy guy. Is that fair to say? A speakeasy guy? 
yeah, we did did really enjoy the speakeasies here. Um, but like I said, I mean, it's hard to do the true speakeasy thing. You know, like there's a speakeasy right where I used to live that's like inside of a very popular like brunch place, mm. which itself is down kind of this secret alley. So you walk down a secret alley into like this place that feels like almost like a wooden lodge. And then within that, you like go into another hallway and then tell them you're there for like their speakeasy. They take you upstairs inside like what feels like a secret hallway and into a very small room where they have $20 cocktails. Nice. <laughs> which are which are quite good. <laughs> but the whole thing is ridiculous. And, you know, that type of stuff is not really happening now. But what we do have around the corner from us in Fort Greene is this um, this spot that it's, it's called Dick and Jane's. It's, it's really good, really good cocktails. And they are starting to have a lot of outdoor area. And I think I'm going to be there quite a bit this winter. But I don't know if you'd really call it a speakeasy at this point. It's a cocktail bar. It's operating outside. I dig it. Um, the most obscure speakeasy mechanism I've experienced here in San Diego is um, it's called Raised by Wolves. And on the outside... Uh, they didn't even try to make it look like a, a normal bar or restaurant. It's like an apothecary with uh, mm. these uh, potions and salves and balms. So very Harry Potter. And then you uh, uh, sit down in this chair, which lowers you back into the fireplace. And you're walking through these mirrored hallways. And then you step into an Uber. And it takes you back to your house. Uh and then you drink whatever's in the fridge <laughs> and it's like 50 bucks for the whole experience it's fantastic that sounds great yeah i, I um i always accuse devin of being a hipster and it, it, it never goes well but i think i get into trouble because we're not really defining what hipster is and to you brooklynites i think i think hipster is like kind of this undesirable thing uh, but I'm using it more in the way uh, a hipster is an expert on a certain, maybe obnoxious subject, but it's fun to talk about. You could be like a, a coffee guy and, and you'll know all about uh, the beans and where they came from and how they were treated and how it impacts uh, 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 the taste as it hits your palate and so on. Um, uh, uh, Dev, just full full stop. What is it, man? Are you a hipster or not? And if you are, what about? Yeah, I would say I'm not. I would say I'm not a hipster, but I I understand the accusations. I think it's hard to, I think it's hard to live in New York and not seem like you are one to people uh, who don't live here because just like you talk about New York things and people think you're being pretentious, even if it's like if you were actually here, you wouldn't think it was cool or whatever. You would just be like, that's a normal restaurant that's like immediately next to your apartment or whatever, but. You know, the more you describe it, it's like people think you're being a hipster. I, I think so. New Yorkers, New Yorkers, probably Brooklynites especially, think that New York and Brooklyn are the center of the universe. I'll tell you what Devin does. He'll casually mention, oh, did you see in the um, in the New York Times? No. Like, you think I read a newspaper? <laughs> yeah, that's let also. Alone, <laughs> let alone your newspaper, the New York Times? I yeah. Read, I read Famous the... local newspaper that yeah. doesn't get <laughs> I do feel like there's a lot of stuff that becomes trendy here that I that I don't like in the first place, but then and then later, you know, other cities like copy it, and then it's 
uncool in that city, but it was already uncool here. And so I'm like incredibly over it because people will be like, oh, do you know about this? And I'll be like, yeah, that sucks. And it also sucked here like a year ago. And then you sound, do, do you really not see how that is the most? But you're not being a hipster because it's not like you were into it before. You're like super tired of it. It's the most, not only does that thing I like suck, but it sucked when you found out about it, which was well, a year ago. You, I didn't say you liked it. I'm just saying, like that, to, to me, that's, it, Pat, Pat, what do you think? Pat, you're obviously a, a beer snob, a, a booze yeah, snob. Yeah, are, yeah. You, are you a hipster? Do you wear it? No, I don't think I'm a hipster, and I've been in Brooklyn for like two months, so it's too soon for me to become a hipster. I will, I will say, my buddy came over on Sunday to watch football. We've got this outdoor setup, so we can we can do that. But uh, he he arrived late. He arrived late because the bike light on his single speed bike died while he was in, I believe, Crown Heights for a flash rave. No. That, yeah. Then he then he crashed out there, and then he borrowed. He found someone that would let him borrow a bike light, so he could he could bike over on a single speed to hang. So, at that point, I thought this is pretty goddamn hipster. <laughs> That's yeah. fair. That is fair. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we can talk about. That. I would say I do think that like the hipster meaning is like shifting. Like it went from like a sort of scenester thing where it was like, who are the people who like really want to be the cool kids and are like they're really doing the most to like stand out and be part of the scene. And as it's become more of like a a little bit more of a bougie thing and more of a consumerist thing, we are slowly seeing the term hipster shift into this thing that's like the people that are doing the least like you're just <laughs> describing like oh people who wear flannels and don't shave and have generally poor hygiene <laughs> yeah. that's like hipster okay it's like slowly slowly shift oh flip-flops that guy's a hipster fair. i don't know i don't know yeah about- when i first moved here it was like the hipster look was like skinny jeans mm. and like you kind of, there was like a real feel to it. Maybe a beanie, yeah. you know, but it was not, you were kind of standing out the hipsters from kind of the rest of like New Yorkers. It wasn't like you're a hipster because you're in New York. It's a hipster because you chose to be a hipster. And yeah. most of those people live in New York. Mm-hmm. Mm, 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 mm. Fair, fair. Was a time when you could spot a hipster and now you've all just been blindly I'm grouped together. I'm starting to feel comfortable about this whole hipster thing. What, what are we doing? No, 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 I'm like, here I am. I'm Senator McCarthy on the hipster hunt. Yeah. <laughs> and how do we find these hipsters? Yeah. <laughs> That's how do you fair. to find them, John? Yeah, yeah, we're taking way too extensive notes on this. He's like, okay, the fl- there's a flash rave. Yeah, so we follow the single speed bikes. <laughs> I, I just... Yeah. I, I'll tell you, there's... You know... L.A. and New York are the only cities that make me feel like a second-class citizen here in San Diego. Not by anything that you guys are doing, but uh, you do get the trends faster than I do. Um, So this stuff is interesting to me. Pat, you mentioned earlier um, that you, uh, like many of us, maintain a a day job. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, that's 
status case. Have you gone to any lengths to prevent your coworkers or bosses from finding out just how involved you are in the fantasy football community? I haven't. I haven't gone any lengths. Um, it's sort of, I think, maybe a failure of my own uh, ability to getting gain exposure that I haven't <laughs> <laughs> found out, like, whatever. But I mean, everyone that I work with that really knows me knows that I'm into fantasy football, and I don't, you know, I don't go to any attempt to kind of hide that. And uh, it's it often is something that I'll kind of connect with my coworkers about, you know, because like this time of year, like there was a guy that was kind of new to the team last year and he's like, who do I keep? And so you kind of, you can kind of, I, I think I told him, I might've told him not to keep Lamar Jackson. And it was actually a pretty rough oh, year no. between us. So oh, I wonder no. if, uh, <laughs> no, I can't remember. <laughs> if he asked me. But, uh, that, but you know, you kind of, you kind of, it's, it's a talking point for a lot. A lot of people have at least some interest in fantasy football. So if you're going to have like some obsessive side gig, then, uh, it's a, it's a decent one to be able to talk about at work. You know, something I wanted to bring up while you were on, and this is kind of a special thing for all three of us, a highly funny, not super popular, but extremely funny website, uh, Pat, that you and your brother, uh, Mike, put together called Rotoblurb. Rotoblurb.com. Um... For those of you who haven't checked it out, it's up. Like, check it out. It's really funny, honestly. Um, I love that shit. Uh, we steal, like, half of those blurbs for our jokes, and we can't find them. I'll just go on there and <laughs> pick an old blurb, and, and that's that's going in the monologue. Um, how'd, you, how'd you think of this? Like, where did it come from? This is Mike's idea. This is Mike's uh, idea. Sort of. So it's just, it's like a parody of kind of the Roto World, Roto Wire type of, like, blurb, but it's a joke. You know, so you it's the whole thing's a bit. And we had Pete Overzet doing it with us too, and you got it was ended up being uh a lot of fun. We really were doing it mostly last summer. Um at the height of, of Roto Blurbing, Pete did one about DK Metcalf and DK Metcalf was lining up all the receivers in order of height <laughs> so he could show how much bigger he was than everyone. That's right. And the style that we had chosen from this for this website was like very much the old school news sitey thing of like where you had the initial you had the headline then like the news and then like the analysis like Roto World doesn't look like that now it's like almost like the headline and then just the analysis right but we kind of had it structured like that but it kind of I feel like it, it registered to people as being real at some point at some times and we did get Chris Westling <laughs> sharing that particular blurb as if it was real. Like, we weren't trying to trick anybody, but, you know, he, like, shared that one. And uh, and then, like, it became kind of a joke on the show. They brought it up that, you know, like, he, he had been – there was some fake news that he had been sharing. You know? <laughs> so we – you know, he, we were like and, – and Chris, we, had, we did the Fantasyland episode uh, on Chris – um, uh, as he battled cancer, mm-hmm. so so Chris, we were like, he messaged us, being like, "What what is this?" The boys reminisced about Rotoblab for some time, and inevitably, the subject turned 
to Adam Gase. Watch, by the time we push this episode out, which will probably be the Saturday after this one, he's going to be gone, right? Like, he'll be gone. He's I don't think so. I think they realize that they need the 101, and he's their way to get it. <laughs> he's I'm not kidding. Really? I mean, they literally don't need... I mean, the whole point is that anyone could do what he's doing going 0-16, but they do need someone to blame and to take the heat for... And like an Owen 16, nobody wants to sign up to be the interim guy who they're like, you're the interim guy, but you cannot win a game. Like they don't have to worry about that with Adam Gase. They're just like, (laughs) let him keep running things, you know, and then that'll be that. And then he'll be gone and they'll be like, you know, this guy obviously was the worst coach uh, in NFL history and he's gone and we're turning the page. Yeah. And then everyone can celebrate and it'll finally feel like, okay, because Right now, they're Jet fans. Like, Jets fans, they feel like, yes, we're going to get rid of Adam Gase this offseason. But he's still there. Yeah. He might. There's a there's a slimmest of chances that maybe this guy won't end up leaving. <laughs> and if he doesn't end up leaving, like, what are the Oh, next, my God. Who knows? Maybe four years going to look like? He's gonna... It could be terrible, you know? And you're just looking ahead of what these next four years could be. And it's like, what if this guy doesn't leave? So the fact that he just leaves... <laughs> And nothing else changes, even if we're sitting here in the status quo, but he's gone, mm-hmm. then the future looks so much brighter. <laughs> I'm talking about Adam Gates. <laughs> no, it's definitely true. I mean, it's fun watching the Jets fans like tilt in real time on Twitter and stuff as the Jets come close to potentially winning a game by accident. And they're like freaking out with the Patriots, like needing a game-winning drive, and then the field goal. Like it was hilarious the reactions everyone was having to like every single play on that last drive, as the Patriots almost weren't able to beat them. And seemingly, I mean, it was hard to tell, but seemingly both teams going back and forth, like one upping each other, trying to throw the game, like twelve yeah. men on the field for no reason, right out of the Belichick. To Vrabel. I mean, that's in the coaching tree right there. But yeah, everyone was like, okay, that was an intentional 12 men on the field. That was an intentional 15 second runoff of the clock for no reason when you have like a timeout and then like still need points to take the lead. Like it was very interesting. Yeah, no, I think that there was Belichick was maybe trying to lose that game and Belichick is a great coach, but he's not going to lose a game better than Adam Gase. And that's why he's still there. <laughs> it is true. I mean, everyone, it's one. It's like you said, it's a non-zero thing. Like everyone knows, Adam Gase should not be the coach of the New York Jets beyond this year. But the fear is real because, you know, even though it's like everyone knows it except the owner, or whatever. Yeah, but if you're the GM, right? It's like. I don't want to fire Gase because then there's a lot of time for them to think about firing you. Uh-huh. If you keep yeah. Gase around, he's cover. Exactly. <laughs> it's a balancing act as the GM. You're like, how long is the wait? Can it last on this guy? Where he's just the 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 shield. You know, I can never be blamed for anything as long as he's here until you get blamed for keeping him around so long. Right. So you just got to get out at the right minute. Yeah. Right. Well, Pat, I appreciate you taking as much time as you did uh, to come on the show and talk mostly about hipsters. Um, Really did enjoy that. But uh, I don't know if you've heard the show before. Uh, We have a requirement of each of our guests. And 
At this point in the show, the guest has to tell a pocket joke. Basically, the kind of joke that uh, you might trade on the playground growing up uh, from a time when you couldn't look up the joke yourself. Uh, 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 do you have one of those ready to go by chance? I do, yeah. And uh, we, we talked a little bit about Ronald Jones here. So, you know, you might be surprised to hear this. But, John, I think Leonard Fournette is looking like he'll be a league winner this year. Really? A league winner? Yeah, he plays in a bunch of fantasy leagues and drafted zero running back in all of them, so he's winning them all. <laughs> Folks, we want to extend our thanks to our guests, Pat Corain and Davis Maddock. And thank you all for tuning in once again. We'll be back uh, when we're back. Thanks, guys. is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.